So if you've got your Bibles with you, open up to Ephesians 2. We're going to take a couple of minutes to get there, but we will get there. Uh, as Ada said, I'm continuing a series that she started last week called Become Who You Are. And this is part of our Live Like Jesus uh, discipleship framework, which Alice went into in a bit more detail last week. And so if you missed that talk, we'd really encourage you to go back onto our podcast, onto our YouTube channel. You can listen to it. Uh, and it's, it was a great talk. So it's a great way to start off the series. But let me just give a quick recap. Uh, if you missed it uh, or if you're new here today. So Live Like Jesus, we as a church a couple of years ago um, launched this discipleship framework because we were like, we just want to increasingly become more and more like Jesus. You're like, well, duh, you're a church. Of course, I know, I know, I know. But we wanted to create an easy way to do it. Uh, and so we had these two pedals, which is that we would be with Jesus and that we would do what Jesus did. And as we do those two things, and, and we have lots of different practices and rhythms that we've gone into over the last couple of years, and we're going to be doing this for many years to come, that as we do those things, then we become more and more like him. But it's not just that it's because of the things we do. It's because as we embed this lifestyle of discipleship, as we take on these practices and rhythms, the Holy Spirit does a transformation work in our hearts and we become more and more like Jesus. And so our hope is that as a church, we would, at the end of this year, turn around and go, wow, we look more like Jesus than we did in January. And if you're new, you're exploring us as a community. This is the type of church we are, a church to say, hey, we want to be discipled. We want to be apprenticed. We want to be changed by Jesus. Because the reality is discipleship is being changed by something and being changed into something. And the truth is all of us are being changed by something and being changed into something. The question is just what? And we want that to be Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so that's the invitation in. And so we've done lots of series over the last couple of years and we're in our latest one, which is live like Jesus, become who you are. And Alice launched us into this last week. And as she said, we could have called this series, become who God says you are. Uh, and we wrestled with that a little bit in the preaching group. And, and Alice was like, no, we shouldn't call it that. Because, because who God says you are is exactly the same as who you are. So if you want to become who God says you are, that's just becoming who you really are. They are one and the same thing. They are not separate things. And as we talked about this title, Become Who You Are, it, 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 I liked it. Because it's language of our time, isn't it? Our Western post-Christian society would love this title. If you spend any time on social media, any time really consuming any form of media, you're going to hear a message like this. Just become who you are. You do you. Be whoever you want to be. Our society is in a moment of self-definition, where self-definition is the highest form of freedom. And they would say, throw off the shackles of any religion or institution or authority that would try and define you. Not even just throw off the shackles, but rally against any external thing that would try and tell you who you are or that you're not who you want to be. And that's why I love this title, because it's using the language of our time, the language that if our society heard it, they'd go, oh yeah, okay. And then we're able to go, oh no, but you know what? We love that you're asking these questions. We love that you're talking about identity, but you've just slightly misunderstood. Because the journey of learning who you are and becoming who you are is not one of self-discovery. It's a journey of learning what your creator says about you. Let me give you an illustration that will help with this. And I, I heard this from a guy called Putty Putman. He's been in our church a couple of times. He's a vineyard pastor over in the States, has a great name, uh, but also he's very, very wise. Uh, and he gave this analogy, this illustration. So I've shamelessly stolen it. Um, but it's this. So I'm going to put up a slide here. This is a beautiful painting. This is actually painted by someone in our, in our north side, a lady called Izzy Rossiter. What a talent. If you want to see more of her art, you can just uh, art by Izzy online on the socials and things like that. You can find it. Does anyone know what that is? 
Clifton Suspension Bridge. It's exactly that. That is what is, 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 uh, is he um, emailed me last Friday with the image. He was like, it's Clifton Suspension Bridge. Now, let me give you an illustration. Imagine I'm, uh, I'm walking around an art exhibition and, and Izzy is there. And she's standing in front of her painting uh, and she looks in and she goes, oh yeah, this is my painting of Clifton Suspension Bridge. I'm like, no, it's not. That's a coffee shop. The bridge there, that's the barista machine. The, the buildings on the right, that's actually the, the, those aren't buildings. That's the menu of the, the flat white. There's any, that's all you need really, isn't it? As people sat there, you know, and I'm defining it as something else. It was great. Last week I was in the north and went through this. And I said, oh, Izzy, what, what do you think? She was like, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's fab. But we live in a moment where we are the painting and we have an artist who has made us. But as a society, we are saying as paintings, we get to choose who we are. And actually what we need to do is we need to say, okay, we need to recognize we are a painting, we are a created being, and we have an artist who has made us, and he knows who we are. And the best way to find out who we really are is to say, hey, well, let's look at the one who made us. The one who in Ephesians 2 says that we are his handiwork, his masterpiece. And our job as we try and learn who we are and as we try and become who we are is not to try and define ourselves, but it's to ask our artist, our creator, who have you made me to be? And that is the moment, that is the series we are in right now. Now, as much as I said that our identity isn't a self-discovery journey, that doesn't mean that self-reflection isn't really important. It doesn't mean that we don't look inwardly. That is so vital to our discipleship. But the key as we self-reflect and as we look internally is that we do it with the mindset of aligning what is going on in here with the truth of who God says about us. Because the reality is, if you're anything like me, and I know that you, I know that you guys aren't, when I was preaching to the North and West, I had to lean hard into this, but I know that you guys are emotionally healthy, secure people who know your identity in God, but the, you know, we had to work hard last week when I was preaching in the North and West. But if you're anything like me, sometimes you'll look inside, and what you'll find really does, does not look that nice. You know, maybe it's fears, maybe it's doubts, maybe it's insecurity, maybe it's selfishness, maybe it's lust. I could list any number of things. You look inwardly and you go, oh, actually, this doesn't line up with who God says about me. Now, we live in a moment where our society is saying, well, hey, whatever you find when you look in there, well, that's just great. You just do that. And we wonder why we have a mental health epidemic. We wonder why anxiety is through the roof right now. Because really, when we look inside, there's stuff going on that is not good. And so as we do that, as we look internally, which is really important, the goal is that we go, okay, let me align this with what's going on in the truth of Scripture. Who does God say? I'm looking inside, and I'm seeing fear and doubt. Okay, what does the Lord say about me? He says, I'm safe and secure in his love. Okay, well, how do I align what's going on internally with what he says? Now, as we go over this series, we're going to be looking at a number of different truths uh, about who God says we are. And the reality is that some of us will have different moments where we realize that we struggle to believe the truth of who God says we are. And I'd encourage you, when that happens, press in. Ask the questions, why? Like, why am I struggling to believe this? What has maybe gone on in my past? Or what is my frame of mind right now that is making it hard to believe this? Go deep in your small groups. Be honest. Don't just give the kind of, the nice surface level Christian answer of like, yeah, that's true. Just go, actually, no, you know what? I'm really not sure that I believe that. <laughs> the Lord already knows that you're struggling to believe it. But just be honest with it. Alice listed a couple of different ways last week that you can press deeper into this. And we would really recommend that you do something like a, a Sozo, which is a prayer ministry tool. We love Sozo in this church. I'm not going to unpack it uh, more now, but if you want to 
find out, come chat to us afterwards, chat to the welcome team, uh, and you can sign up Sezo at cardiffinyard.org and they would love to chat more with you. But there are different tools, but being in a small group, journeying through this over this time, being honest and allowing yourself to be real again, I find this one hard to believe. Why do I find it hard? Lord, would you align what's going on internally with the truth of who you say I am? So last week, Alice looked at the reality that we are beloved children of God, that that is the starting point, that I am a dearly loved child. Uh, David Benner, in his book, The Gift of Being Yourself, says this, an identity grounded in God would mean that when we think of who we are, the first thing that would come to mind is our status as someone who is deeply loved by God. So that is our starting point. That when we're looking at our identity, that the starting point is that we are dearly, dearly, dearly loved. So that was last week. This week, I have the I am statement, I am redeemed. It's the heart of the gospel message. I am redeemed. I am redeemed from something, and I am redeemed to something. I'm redeemed from a life of sin. I'm redeemed from the power of sin, from the kingdom of darkness. And I'm redeemed into forgiveness. I'm redeemed into freedom, the kingdom of God, into my true identity as a beloved child of God. We're redeemed from something. We're redeemed to something. Some of you already might have in your mind the very famous verse from 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, which says, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new has come. The old has gone, I've been redeemed from something and the new has come, I've been redeemed to something. This week, I'm gonna look more at what we've been redeemed from and then next week, James, our senior pastor, he's gonna come and he's gonna look a bit more at what we're redeemed into. And so with that, let's finally get there. Ephesians 2, some of you have been there. When's he actually gonna get to the scriptures? We're there, we're there. Wonderful. So we're in Ephesians 2. Ephesians is a a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. If you don't have your Bibles with you, the um, verses will come up behind me. And we're just going to read right from the beginning. So it says this in verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and followed the ways of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit, who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. This is key, this next bit. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. What a passage of scripture. We have been redeemed from something. We have been redeemed to something. What have we been redeemed from? Sin. (laughs) The uplifting topic you came to church to hear about. <laughs> Let's talk about sin. Now, I just want to say very quickly, if, you are, if this is your first time, we don't talk about sin every week. We're not, we, don't, we don't bash you over the head with it. But it is really important that we talk about it, that we understand its importance. And the reality is in modern Western Christianity, we have a reluctance to talk about sin. We much prefer to focus on the God who chases after us, who loves us unconditionally, who accepts us as we are. We love to talk about grace. And those things, they are amazing and they are so important. But 
as we lean into those things, the danger is that we can forget or we can minimize the seriousness of sin. That we can forget what we have been redeemed from, that there was a great need for us to be redeemed. I've seen it in many people I've pastored over the years, and I've seen it in my own heart as well. That actually as, as we lean into the amazing things about God and we've kind of become complacent about sin, that actually what happens is this almost like blasé attitude towards sin develops. I've seen it in myself, as I said, that it almost comes to this, this point where you go, is sin really that big of a deal? <laughs> but the problem is, if sin isn't that big of a deal, then the cross isn't that big of a deal. If the cross isn't that big of a deal, the resurrection isn't that big of a deal. And if the resurrection isn't a big deal, then our faith, as the Apostle Paul says in another letter that he wrote to the church in Corinth, then our faith is useless and we should be pitied above all other people. We cannot be blasé about sin. Simon Ponsonby, the wonderful Anglican vicar and theologian, says that to truly understand the beauty of God's holiness, we must understand the ugliness of sin. For us to truly understand our identity, for us to truly become who we are, we have to know what we are redeemed from. Now, in the West, when we think about sin, we tend to think about sin as our individual actions or thoughts. Things that we maybe do or didn't do that we should do, bad things that we thought about people that we wouldn't want them to know. That's how we think about sin. Now, don't get me wrong, that, that is absolutely sin, and it's really important that we deal with these things, but that's quite a narrow understanding of it. And so just with a couple of broad brushstrokes, let me ex kind of zoom out and help us understand the magnitude of sin. So you have on one side the cosmic nature of sin. And so this would be the power of sin. This would be the broken world in which we live post-fall. This would be the kingdom of darkness. This is sin on a global scale, on a much bigger scale than just ourselves the power of the enemy over the world. And then you have the individual nature of sin. And here, this is where we're talking about our own sinfulness. And this is where absolutely our own sinful actions and deeds would, would be part of this. But that would just be one side of the coin. The scriptures are very, very clear that individual sin has two sides to the coin. One side is the things that we do or don't do. And the other side of that coin is that our nature has been corrupted by the power of sin. It's verse 3 in, in the passage that we read, Ephesians 2 verse 3. We by our very nature were deserving of wrath. We fail to identify and acknowledge the way that sin has corrupted the very core of who we are and that we need to be redeemed. This is the heart of the Christian message. Verse 3, that we by nature were deserving of wrath. And then verse four and five, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. We were dead and then we were made alive. As 2 Corinthians 5 puts it, the one that we read, the old has gone, the new has come. We've been redeemed from something. We've been redeemed to something. We were dead in our sin and then we were made alive in Christ Jesus. The old us has gone, our old nature is dead and buried, the new identity has come. Now, you might be here going, well, what do you mean that by nature I'm sinful? I'm not that bad a person. And, and this really, if you've, uh, if you've been around uh, the church for a while, maybe you've studied some theology, you might have heard the doctrine of original sin. It's not a phrase that we use that, that often, but it's the, this idea that Adam and Eve, that fateful day when they took of the fruit in the Garden of Eden, that in that moment what happened was sin entered their bodies 
and it corrupted their nature. They were perfect image bearers of God. And as sin entered their body, it corrupted that. And what's happened is from generation to generation of humanity, they have passed on that broken template. And it's that broken template that needs to be redeemed. Romans 5 verse 19, the Apostle Paul puts it like this, for just as through the disobedience of one man, that's Adam, the many were made sinners. This is just the reality. Putty Putman, again, the guy who I stole that analogy from, the illustration earlier, he puts it like this in his book, Live Like Jesus, which is a wonderful book. And if you want to read a bit more into this, I'd really recommend it. He says this, are we made guilty by association with Adam's failures? Did his bad record get passed on to us? No. Instead, his broken template was passed along to us. Once Adam and Eve sinned and became sinners, people in whom sin dwells, they reproduced that broken template throughout the human race. They could not pass along anything other than what they were. And that was the image of God, fractured and broken by sin. So we, by our very natures, deserve wrath. Before we are made alive in Christ, we are made alive in righteousness. And what happens then is we become dead to sin and we become alive in Christ. There is an exchange, the old us goes and the new comes. And this is why the gospel cannot be a nice addition to our life. Jesus can't be this nice little thing that we tag on at the, uh, a couple of times a week. It demands everything of us because at the heart of what it is, there's no room for it to be anything else. When I, when I gave my life to Jesus, when I chose to follow him, me being saved by him is my old self dying. It's not there anymore. I've become a new creation. And so, of course, it then demands all of me. I just want to say on that point, you know, as much as that is true, there is space if you're here exploring Jesus. There's space for you to ask your questions, to work out what you think. And this is a community where we love whatever stage of that journey you're at. And we just want to welcome you in and walk with you. But there is a moment where you'll get to decide, like, do I really believe that Jesus is who he says he is? Do I believe that he's the Lord and Savior? Do I believe that he died for my sins? Because when that happens, we, unite, we are united with him in his death, and then we're united with him in his resurrection. Romans 6, the Apostle Paul puts it like this, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. The old me, the broken natured, sin for me, the old me with all of my mess, my baggage, it was buried with Christ. I died with him and in the same way, I've then been united with him in his resurrection. I am redeemed. Sin is no longer my identity. Now, this is beautiful, life-changing truth and, and the reality is that it's easy to become complacent about it. For those of us who have followed Jesus for a long time, we can move past. And there's a, there's a beauty in developing a mature discipleship. But let us never, ever lose sight of what we were redeemed from, of the price that Jesus paid, of what he had to do in order to win us and set us free. Let us never become complacent about that. 
Now, you might be <clears throat> asking the question, well, what, why then do I still sin? <laughs> you're telling me that I'm dead to sin. You're telling me that my old self has been dead and buried and is gone. Then why, <laughs> if I look at my last week, if I, if I look at this morning, post breakfast, why did I do the things I did or say the things I did? Why am I still so entangled with sin? And <clears throat> the analogy that I so often give with this is one of adoption. So let's say that Claire, my wife, and I adopt uh, a nine-year-old boy. In the moment that that boy is adopted and that document is signed, he becomes a crutchly. He will never be more or less of a crutchly in that moment. Some of you are like, that's how you say his name. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, don't worry. That nine-year-old boy, as he gets adopted, one of the things is a lifetime of no one being able to pronounce his name. <laughs> or spell it. <clears throat> in that moment, that nine-year-old boy will never be more or less of a crutchly. His identity has changed. But he has nine years of living in his old way of life that he will need to unlearn some patterns and he will need to learn some of the ways that our family do things, that his dad is really funny and, <laughs> and good. Uh, but he'll need to learn the patterns of our family and take on the new ways that we live and the ways that we do things and don't do things, what we value and what we don't value. And there'll be moments where he will just like become part of that, like, yes, I love this. And there'll be moments over his life, maybe even years down the line, where he'll slip back into old patterns of thought because there's a, a deep wiring that happens in his life before that document was signed and he became a crutchly. And it's the same with us. The scriptures talk about us being adopted into God's family as his children. We become redeemed. We become saints. We, our, our old identity as sinners is dealt with. We can never, I can never be more or less redeemed. The document is signed. The work has been done. But what can happen is that I can learn to live more and more in the ways of Jesus and less and less in the ways and patterns of my old way of life. And that's the discipleship process. And that's the process that we talk about with Live Like Jesus that we're taking on these new practices and new rhythms to live more in the family of God and less in the ways of the world. For some of us, though, when I talked earlier about how in the West we can have a blasé attitude to sin and we can think it's not that big of a deal, you've come in this morning and you're like, that is not me. <laughs> because you're actually... Uh, you're in a moment in your life where you just cannot see past your own sin. Maybe you're a Christian and you're following Jesus, but you know that you're just caught in a pattern of behavior or there's a deep thing that's going on that you're like, I cannot break free from this and I just feel so much shame and regret. Maybe you're not a Christian yet. Maybe you don't follow Jesus and you've come into church today and you're just like, my life is a mess. I am so broken. I don't think that sin isn't a big deal. Maybe you wouldn't use that word, but you know that you are just like you're tormented by it. For each and every one of our sinful deeds or actions, for each and every bit of shame and regret that we carry, Jesus took the burden on the cross. He dealt with it. And the truth of God is that you are redeemed. And what we need to do, as I said earlier, is when we look internally and we find all of this shame and regret, we need to go, you know what, that's not the truth about me. The truth about me is that I am redeemed, that I have been set free, that I am forgiven, that I am dearly loved, that I'm a new creation. 
We need to do the deep work of realizing it. But if you've come in this morning and you can't see past your, your sin and your shame, that's the enemy. That's the voice of the enemy trying to say seeds of doubt and distraction. The thing is like, well, look, if you really love Jesus, then you wouldn't have done that. How can you say you're a Christian if you treat your family like that? Those, that's not the voice of your father over you. Now, don't get me wrong. Sometimes he'll bring cor- correction and conviction, but he doesn't bring shame. And so if you're here sitting in shame and sin this morning, would you know that Jesus' death and resurrection covers it? And would you know that the truth of God is available to you this morning? Hebrews 10 verse 12 says, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Almost like a mic drop moment. It's like, boom, dealt with. It's dealt with. However, you might be here and be like, but, but Paul, you don't know my sin. It's like way worse than anything you can. Like if Jesus' sacrifice can't deal with the worst of your sins, it can't deal with the best of mine. If it can't deal with the ugliest thing in your past, then none of us have hope. Jesus' death and resurrection covers all sin, all brokenness. And he still says you're redeemed. And that is the beauty of the gospel. Can we just put the picture back up, please, Leah? As I come into land, we're going to take communion in a moment, which is a, a beautiful way to respond to this message. It's a chance for us to reflect on the death, and re- the, the, death the shedding of the blood, blood and the breaking of Jesus' body for us. Our job, whatever, however we're feeling, feelings are fickle. Our job is to recognize that we are the painting and that we have a, an artist, our creator, He says that we are redeemed. So this morning, if you don't feel redeemed, that doesn't mean that you're not redeemed. Our job is to listen to what our artist has to say to us.